This podcast is not intended as a substitute for proper diagnosis and medical care by a qualified veterinarian. Furthermore, the views expressed in this podcast are those of our hospital only and are not intended to represent the policies and practices of other animal hospitals. Before we get to today's episode, I'm popping in to say that at the time we recorded this interview, we were still practicing physical distancing because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Recording remotely, while advantageous at a time such as this, presents some technical difficulties, including audio artifacts which you may notice during this episode. We don't feel that it detracts from the quality of information presented in the interview, however, and we ask for your understanding. And now, on to the episode. Welcome to the Animal Hospital of North Asheville podcast. I am your host, Gretchen Harwell. Today, we are following up our Skin Allergies podcast with one on food allergies. Joining me again is Dr. Scott Loveless. Thank you again for joining me, Dr. Loveless. You're welcome. Uh, and since the last time we chatted, I asked you about yourself. This time, I wanted to ask you about your pets. So what was your first adult pet as a grown-up? What was your first pet? Well, my first pet was probably a cat named Lachlan that I had when I adopted him when I was my first year of vet school. Um, he was a little orange and white cat, or he was little when I got him. He ended up growing a, lot, a little bit bigger than I thought he was going to be. But um, yeah, he, poor guy, he got to be, uh, he was a sweet guy, but he got to be of all my um, my work in my palpation practice and things like that. So he got to have a lot of stuff done to him, but he was a, he was a good sport about it. And he he was trained early, so he was actually... He ended up liking it uh, or being okay with it. I'll, I'll say he tolerated it well. Yeah. I, you know, I have a, a cat that I adopted from a, a friend of mine who has two young boys. She fostered mm -hmm. him and boy, this cat will take anything because those boys, <laughs> you know, they carried them around. They hung them upside uh -huh. down. They did all the thing that little, small children like to do to pets. And he's just, now he's just a noodle. He's the best. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Excellent. So here's a trick question for you. Do you consider right. yourself a cat person or a dog person? Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit of both. I, I like both for different reasons. I like cats. Um, uh, they're cool, kind of independent creatures. And then dogs, you know, they, they like to interact to be with you. But um, cats like to, you know, do their own thing as well. So I'm, I'm kind of a little bit of both. Great. And um, what pets do you currently have? Um, currently, I have two cats, um, and I have one dog. So, Excellent. That's a good mix. Yep. Yes. Okay. And so let's move on to our topic for the day, which is food allergies. Can you just give us a refresher? What are allergies? So allergies are, are again, the immune system attacking what it thinks is a foreign invader. So it, it, for some reason, you know, you get exposed to something, either pollen or food in this case, and it basically your body thinks that whatever this is, it shouldn't be there, and it, it deploys mast cells, and it attacks it, and it kind of creates all these secondary issues um, from its attack on um, what, what it thinks is something that's a foreign invader. And it's in okay. And um – how does this apply to food allergies? I mean, what I mean is, um, if there is a difference, what is the difference between food allergies and skin allergies? Right. So, um, basically, in, in, in ways, it's very similar to like pollen, mold, et cetera. But think of the food particles themselves as antigens or the, the stimulant to the immune system. The GI tract is kind of like 
um, I'll put <laughs> inside skin. Um, okay. Skin on the inside that basically you're reacting to. So your body digests things. It picks up these proteins and things like that. And it basically says, oh, that shouldn't be there. And it starts to have a flare up and they can actually express themselves externally or um, internally as well. Okay. And uh, so what are a couple of common um, food allergies for pets? Yeah. So um, the most common thing, um, just like humans, they can be allergic to any food. So you can technically be allergic to pretty much anything. Mm -hmm. um, the common, more common things are larger molecules like proteins. So usually proteins like meats and pork and chicken and soy are, are a lot more common other things. Smaller things like carbohydrates are less likely, but also possible. Um, and like I said, you know, also any other things, but think about most people that are like peanut allergic, it's usually the protein and that, that they're allergic to in peanuts or, or chicken or seafood or things like that. Um, okay. Yeah. So it sounds like um, even though there's a lot of diets that are grain free, it sounds like grains, they're not the most common allergen. Is that right? Correct. Correct. So it's, it's been um, with all the, uh, internet information out there has been kind of skewed to sound like grains are a cause of most allergies and things like that. And while they are, could be a small percentage, um, they're a pretty small percentage of that. They're not definitely not the most common form of allergies and been blown, been blown way out of proportion as a cause of food allergies. Um, the majority of the cases, um, are, are anecdotal reports where it means just one or two people have a story that says, uh, you know, these are, their dogs have a reaction and they got better on this particular food, but they can also change a lot about the other foods. It can also be a protein source change or, or something else about the food that can change. Right. Okay. And I feel like this is a good time to mention that grain-free diets are a big topic and that we are going to cover they that are. all by itself. Yes. recommend We, we don't recommend the grain-free diet at this point. Um, but we have a bunch of reasons why that is the latest research. Like I said before, I didn't mind it too much before the latest research came out. It just was one of the things I didn't think it was necessary. But um, as long as it wasn't hurting the pets, we weren't worried about it. But now that we found that there, there can be some complicating issues with them, we are definitely recommended against them at this point. Okay. Um, so what are the symptoms of uh, food allergies? And right. are they similar to skin allergy symptoms? Right. So they can a lot of times present similar or the same as skin allergies. Um, there are some minor, minor variations, but like you said, for the symptoms, um, they can have a lot of dermatitis, they can have ear infections, they can have skin infections and things like that that occur just with the diet as well. Um, and then you can also have both going on at the same time. You can have a dog that has a seasonal allergy and also has a food allergy. I think they estimate maybe 20 to 30% have kind of a combination of both at the same time, which is not, not too great for that dog, but it, it does happen. So, Yeah, that poor dog. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. Um, and then... Um, so I've heard of food allergies, and there's also a food intolerance. Can you touch briefly on what that difference is? Right. So um, food allergies are usually a, a reaction to that where you can see something either um, more on the, the severe side, so like a skin, skin reaction or something else that's causing that. Mm -hmm. um, whereas food intolerance can mean this, you just have a little stomach upset, maybe a little vomiting, a little diarrhea, things like that from the food, and usually not quite as severe okay. um, for that. So. Um, that can also be a little bit of a difference. Now, a lot of times people will say they're the same, but there's there's a minor difference between them. Okay. Um, and now I know in humans, sometimes food allergies can be a fatal, especially you mentioned um, like peanut allergies. Uh, does mm -hmm. this happen in pets? 
Um, it's definitely in the realm of possibilities, but I, it's very, very uncommon, if not very rare. I, I can't recall the last time I've seen a dog that we've known that's gotten into something like that and had a reaction that's severe, anaphylactic reaction as severe as you're, you're thinking. Um, a lot of times we may see these and though think they're, because we don't always have the whole history of what the dog went into. You know, maybe they went outside, maybe they ate something, a new treat, and then they went outside and did something, but um, you know, they came back inside and their face was full. And we may have thought, oh, it's a bee sting or a yellow jacket sting or something like that, because we oftentimes see that. But it, you know, some of these may be foods that we're not seeing and things like that. But um, I can't say, you know, for sure I've diagnosed one that said, oh, yeah, that's definitely a food allergy that's called that severe of a reaction um, in dogs. But Right. Okay. And um, is this something that affects both dogs and cats equally? Yes, I would say it's um, probably more commonly seen in dogs as far as diagnosis, um, but it can be seen in both. Um, whether that's just, um, don't know what the reason is for that, but uh, like I said there is, I do tend to think it, it does seem to be more common in dogs, but um, a fair amount of cats do have uh, food allergies and cats will present kind of in weird ways. So sometimes they have food allergies and we don't know it. They have this kind of, um, we talked a little bit last time, this kind of weird four cutaneous reactions and it's, it's almost mimics exactly the same for cats. Um, they also get some weird things like um, eosinophilic ulcers, which also are called rodent ulcers. Sometimes those can be from food allergies. They can also get the dermatomiliary dermatitis that we see with fleas, but also they can be from food allergies. And they, oftentimes some of these, um, these self-induced alopecias where cats will lick their bellies. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's psychological, but sometimes that's a, a weird food allergy too. So sometimes those are kind of the harder ones to diagnose um, for that. Cats are also a little bit more finicky when it comes to food. So they're a little bit harder um, sometimes to put on these specialized diets. Dogs tend to, to take to new diets easier. Um, so they tend to be easier to switch to a, a new diet. But we do see some, you know, we still see cats with food allergies as well. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I know what you're saying about the cats that lick their bellies. I mean, it, in a way it does kind of make sense that if their belly is upset from something, you know, I mean, it seems kind of maybe a little bit too basic, but like that maybe right. they do lick it because they're uncomfortable, you know? The the tricky thing is that's it's one of the possible causes, but it's probably not right. the most common cause or even one, you know, right. kind of thing. So I always tell people not to say, oh, Dr. Lovett said this on the podcast. So right. let's, let's go say, oh, it's every, every cat. Cause there's a lot of other reasons for that too. Oh, sure. Um, and that's, that's a tricky part is it's one of the possibilities for that. So how do we diagnose food allergies and are there uh, specific tests? Yeah. I, um, there's no specific tests that what you're thinking of, there's like a test I could do. I said, oh, you've got this allergy and this allergy and that allergy. Mm-hmm. Um, in skin allergies, we talked a little bit about immunotherapy and doing a blood, either a blood test or skin test. Some of the blood tests, they do have a food part of part of them. And depending on who you talk to, um, you know, most of our dermatologists, say, you know, said these are very inaccurate and don't really correlate well with actual findings in the dogs or cats. They actually, um, what they show up on the blood panel, either, you know, say they put positive for beef, they may not actually have a beef allergy. It's just a very difficult thing to measure with the blood panel. Um, And there's no real good way you can measure it on the skin panel either. Ideally, um, if you do that kind of skin panel, the same injection into the stomach, um, Mm -hmm. that would probably be a a really good way of testing it. There's just no way of of doing that internally right now. Um, The only thing that kind of crosses that is grain mites. Grain mites are kind of a weird thing. They live in dog food and cat food. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of times if, if I see a dog that's allergic 
to grain mites, a lot of times we will discuss about the food and things like that, because that can actually be something they ingest through food and, and things like that. So we can kind of do some things to cut down on, on grain mites. Um, if they do have a reaction to that on their, uh, uh, their either blood test or their skin test. Okay, so it sounds like, um, you know, there's not a one specific test for food allergies, and we kind of we kind of come to a diagnosis through treatments and some other tests. Is that about right? Yeah, yeah, that about that's about right. We do um, we do usually want to do or get a diagnosis from doing a food trial, a diet trial, okay. along with sometimes a food challenge at the end of the diet trial. Um, so what what a diet trial is? It's trying either a novel protein, which is a protein they haven't had before, or a hydrolyzed protein. Um, and basically, what we do is we give the the dog or cat this food for usually at least eight weeks, um, sometimes longer, for the skin um, to kind of see if they're gonna clear up and, and have things go. Now, the complicating factor is, is a lot of times if seasonal allergies are going on at the same time, we may wait or delay when we actually do this um, mm-hmm. testing just to make sure that we're not doing it like right now uh, when the middle of springtime and all these allergens are kind of coming or these spring allergies are coming out and you're, you're trying to see if you're getting better on this diet and you're actually getting worse because it's actually the diet's not affected. You actually have a, con- you have a concurrent seasonal allergy along with your food allergy. Sometimes we will kind of delay or kind of see if there is a seasonal flare-up or we know we are always bad at this time. We may kind of put you on some medication to clear this up for a while and then kind of do a diet trial a little bit later point. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say it, that sounds like kind of like what we talked about in our other episode where this is why we don't change everything all at once. Exactly right. So okay. we don't know which is what's working and, and which order we should go in and what actually we're, we're getting a diagnosis of. Right. Okay. Okay. And you mentioned hydrolyzed protein. I know you said a novel protein is some, a pro, like a, a protein source that they have not been exposed to. What is hydrolyzed right. protein? Right. So hydrolyzed protein is kind of a, a kind of a newer kind of thing that we had. I would say, I don't know how long it's been around, maybe 10, 10, 15 years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, basically what it is, you take a protein source, so like chicken and ZD, I think it's feathers, which sounds weird, but it actually is pretty good. Um, and Ultimino, Royal Canon's Ultimino. Okay. And basically you either superheat it or, or break it down into the component parts. So proteins are, are made of amino acids that are grouped together. And basically you break the protein apart into the constituent amino acids. And then basically you kind of put it to, back together um, to make food. Uh, the proteins don't have the signature, don't look like chicken to the body anymore mm-hmm. um, or feathers. So they actually, um, the body doesn't respond the same way to them in most cases. Uh, so like I said, it's usually a better way of getting that kind of just that better diet that we can um, be a little bit more sure that we either have a reaction or not a food reaction. And then, um, yeah, we used okay. to do that. Yeah, that sounds pretty advanced, honestly, for food science. (laughs) I mean, um, I remember, honestly, when my daughter was born, she had um, a pretty bad protein intolerance. And we were, it was either control it through my diet or a hydrolyzed protein formula. Yeah, and And that's probably where it first came when was children and hydrolyzed um, milk casein. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So thank you for telling us about hydrolyzed protein. Can you just briefly explain what novel proteins are? Right. So novel proteins are protein sources they haven't had before. Um, The tricky thing is, is 
um, every time it used to be back, I think 20, 30 years ago, they used to be have a fish and potato. I think Ukanuba made it. It was called um, Response FP, and it was fish and potato, and that was like the hypoallergenic diet because most dog foods at that point were made of beef, chicken, pork, and that was what most things were made. So fish and potato was kind of new. Mm-hmm. It's kinda like the problem is now is, you know, there's there is fish. A lot of times people like to give fish to their dogs, give other sorts of things. Um, we have venison, deer meat. Um, they have, um, I think one company came out with a kangaroo and oats. Yes. Um, they have a, um, there's one, a new one, uh, it's uh, alligator. Oh. <laughs> it's a gator one. Um, they have all sorts of weird things they're, they're getting in there to kind of get, because they have to catch up with something new mm-hmm. to figure out that um, something that your dog hasn't had before. And the more products that are out there in these um, over-the-counter hyperallergenic drugs trying to kind of, they say, oh, you know, fish is good or salmon is good. We'll make an over-the-counter salmon diet. Well, maybe it's good, but maybe it has something else in it. So it's, it's also important when you go to try one of these novel proteins to kind of know general idea of what your your dog or cat's had before. You know, had they had a lifetime of eating fish diet. If that's the case, then they, uh, one of the DD is a salmon and potato diet. It's probably, if they had a lot of fish products in their life, that's probably not the ideal one to start with. Right. I um, mean, I think for, yeah, and I think for cats, they even have, I think, a rabbit and pea or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it's, um, there's a lot of different ones, but, you know, kind of figure out what they've had. And if you kind of have just a list, like, you know, what have they been on before in their life? It helps us as veterinarians to kind of figure out, well, this is something they haven't had before. Um, and that's why we have these, these interesting new protein sources because they shouldn't have a reaction to them. Right. Yes. Yeah. So basically, you know, if, if your dog has tried every single salmon diet, well, the hypoallergenic salmon diet, probably not going to work for you, but perhaps one of the more novel right. ones is okay. Right. Exactly. With the venison or the gator. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, and so can we talk a little bit about treatment? Um, I know you mentioned, you know, we start with a food trial. Um, and so you had mentioned in the skin allergy episode about immune therapy. It doesn't seem like that's an option. Am I right about that? That's right. Um, in most cases, once again, things like that, that grain might kind of sneak on the border. You could probably get a little bit that may have some effect, effectiveness mm-hmm. um, with immune therapy. But um, it's one of those things that um, usually it doesn't work too well with that, given them a small amount of what they're allergic to, in this case, doesn't really tend to help them. We don't have any treatments that focus on that. So um, usually what we do is to, um, treatment is usually avoiding, it sounds easy, it's avoiding the foods they're allergic to, mm-hmm. knowing that if they get into something, they may have a flare up or something like that. Okay. Now, a lot of times what we do, and this kind of goes into the last question, um, a lot of times what we do is whenever we're doing the, the trial after the eight weeks or 12 weeks, whenever we say, okay, you know, we're doing well, we seem to respond well to this diet. Um, it seems to be doing on the good side. Sometimes we'll challenge them. We'll actually do a challenge to see if what they're allergic to, to actually find out, okay, this is what they're allergic to. Now, sometimes we'll, if we say, you know, we want to go on this one food, put them back on the food and they break out, we know, okay, they've got something they're allergic to in that food. Mm -hmm. The other way sometimes we'll do is we'll challenge them with as specific proteins as we can get. So say in their previous food had a lot of chicken in it, we can say, hey, let's see if they're allergic to chicken. So we'll take some sort of maybe boneless, skinless chicken breast, cook them um, for about a week, give them a small amount of that every day and just see if they react. If they react or their skin flares up, things like that, we're like, yep, they probably have a chicken allergy. And we put them back on the hypoallergenic allergy and we can test something else at that point. You just want to test the simplest thing at a time either a little bit of beef or chicken or something that you don't want to do a whole bunch of things. And usually the proteins is if we're going to challenge them, we're going to do that. Now, 
sometimes these challenges happen by accident. Right. Um, sometimes, you know, they're, they're doing that. They get a treat, they get a, you know, maybe a raw chew or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they, um, they get that um, raw chew and they kind of challenge themselves with that or with, with beef or, or whatever that's made of. Right. Or somebody unknowingly gives them a treat that they shouldn't have or something like that. And exactly. And now I know sometimes, um, it can take a long time for the reaction to happen. So if you're going to challenge, obviously you don't go, okay, well, this week it's chicken and next week it's beef. Do you have to, you know, get, you have to have an in-between time. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So you want to go back kind of like a, a plateau. So you want to put them on one, let it kind of go back to the, the, just, just the hypoallergenic diet for a while. And if, if they're doing well, that's okay. Now let's challenge them with something else. But yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't just try to do one thing than another because then you'll react and say, okay, it's either beef or chicken and we don't know because sometimes it can, like you said, take a week or two. The itching may start, but the infection may not, that you see may not occur until later on. So that actually may be what you notice. Okay. Um, the, the other important thing to mention is when we, when we do have like a, a skin infection or like that, just like before we talked about allergies, if you have a food allergy with it, if you're not getting rid of the infection, it doesn't matter if you change the correct food or things like that. If you're not getting rid of the infection, the infection itself is itchy. So right. it, can, it can be one of those things that can, can be difficult to de- determine if the infection is still there. So you have to clear the infection up a lot of times before you even start the food trial. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and now, are these hypoallergenic diets that you mentioned, like the uh, ZD and um, the Royal Canin one, are they always necessary? That's a good question. So sometimes dogs or cats just won't eat them. And so sometimes we'll do a novel protein diet or, um, you know, we'll kind of do something like that. But usually it is, you're going to need a special veterinary formulated diet in most cases. Now, some people get lucky. I've had people say, oh yeah, we switched into this particular over the counter diet and we got lucky. But the majority of time, you're not going to be that lucky. And we're not really going to say we've ruled out a food allergy as veterinarians until we've done an actual food trial with a, one of these prescription diets. One of the big things is because a lot of times these over the counter diets are not are processed with other foods when they're making food. So say they're making, you know, a lamb and rice formula, mm-hmm. maybe two days ago or last week, they made a beef or chicken formula on that same machine. Right. And so they're not cleaning the machine. I know that a lot of these, a lot of the um, prescription companies, Purina, Science Diet, or Canaan, they take the, either take the machines apart or have special machines dedicated to that and clean them out and test them to make sure they don't have any of these other antigens in there. So oftentimes, a lot of times, three out of four over-the-counter diets have either beef or, or soy in the dog food that aren't on the label. So I sometimes that's one of those things that is not always or they made in the same manufacturing plan or just a lot of things that can get in there um, that, that you just don't know and you think it's one thing, but it actually has a couple other things into it. So a lot of times these, um, these hydrolyzed proteins, these novel diets, um, have to, they're more expensive Mm -hmm. and there's a reason for it because they take a lot more work to produce and to, to make sure they're actually are hypoallergenic diets. Um, the other thing you got to think of them is more like a diagnostic test and less like an actual, it's, yes, it is a food, but if you're comparing the prices to like a food, it's going to you know, seem really expensive, but it's, it is a diagnostic test that we're doing to figure it out. Now, a lot of times some dogs, they just have to stay on these long-term, but you know, sometimes we can find that if we know they've got a food allergy, we know what we're looking for. We can kind of say, okay, well, we can try maybe some of these over-the-counter the foods after the fact and see how they respond to them. And they can do, do, do one of these over counter foods as a food challenge to see if it's going to be one that works for them or not. Um, 
with the supervision veterinarian that can be helpful to, to kind of figure that out. Yeah. I, um, and then some, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was going to say sometimes these, these diets do end up being easier to stay on because we know once again, they're pure. They're not mixing it up. Like I said, if you change the formula, if you're mixing it, maybe one batch was fine. And then you get the next batch of this other over the counter food. And it, it's, it has some beef or chicken because they made chicken last week where last time they didn't. Um, and your dog happens to be allergic to this chicken protein. Right. Um, so it's one of those things that it, it can be, it can sometimes be easier when, you, when you're on these diets to just stay on them because then you don't have to worry about as much, you know, okay, these are pretty consistent products. We're going to get the same thing out of the, every time. And it's just easier to stay on them. Whereas sometimes we start challenging them when we start having the same things that brought us in the first place, these flare ups, these skin infections, ear infections, things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think what you said, um, you know, initially to view it as a diagnostic as well as a diet actually helps um, it kind of, it helps that price tag make sense because, exactly. you know, hopefully it's not, doesn't have to be a permanent thing, but um, you know what you're getting with this and you, you know, you know, there's not going to be any of that cross-contamination, for example. Exactly. And so that cross-contamination actually brings me to my next question, which is what are some of the challenges of treating food allergies? You've already covered some yeah. of this stuff. But um, with like, you know, the sneaked treats and that kind of things. But are there other ones as well? Right. There are a lot of challenges in trials. <laughs> That's why they're difficult to, not the easiest thing to do. So all the times I'll, I'll have people um, say, you know, practice it before, you know, we'll talk about the food, um, food challenges and the diet trial. And maybe it's, you know, maybe it's the springtime. We're not going to do it. And I said, hey, you know, practice it with your diet at home. Mm -hmm. Make sure everybody's on board before we, you know, get the specialty food and go all in to that. Because when they're on the food, really, they should have only... Only this food. Unless right. the veterinarian tells you something else you can have. I'll mention a couple things that were mentioned to me by dermatologists of things they said um, you can do for treats and things like that. But usually the, the safest thing is to be on that food mm -hmm. um, or a can. Sometimes they have canned versions of the food. Um, we'll talk about uh, we can do that. But a lot of times things like children, like toddlers. Toddlers are a big you – know, I've got two kids. I know. Um, <laughs> yes. You know. My my dog sits <laughs> sits under my daughter's chair at the table. My youngest daughter and waits for her to drop things. Yes, and anything that drops gets eaten. And you know, doing a diet trial at my house wouldn't work too well. Or if we did, we'd have to say, okay, you know, right. Our dog goes in the crate whenever we eat because this is going to happen. Right. Um, you know, and she's always checking around to see if there's any little little bits or pieces. So that's not going to work. Especially you know when you have the the really little ones um, that just throw things off the table because. They like watching the dog get them. Right. Um, or, and sometimes it's the, <laughs> our older, our older friends that um, do that as well. Um, like I said, uh, sometimes people in the household just don't listen um, and they just want to say, oh yeah, well, it's just a little bit. It's okay. And you got to make sure that everybody's on the same page before you start. Cause you know, the kind of the worst thing you can do is think you're on a diet trial and not, and still be breaking out and not realizing why we're, why we're doing this. And then, you know, a month into it, somebody says, Oh yeah, you know, I've been feeding them these treats or a little bit of my food every time. And so that can be a, a big challenge, challenge for that. The other things um, you can have uh, medications. So a lot of times our medications, you have to check um, the medications we give them. Sometimes we have flavored medications, sometimes yeah. the heartworm medications flavored. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes um, some of the anti-inflammatories like Deramax is, is flavored, or Remedil. Um, some of those are, have flavorings to them, and some of our medications have flavors, and so we have to check and see if those are actually 
going to cause a reaction or not because sometimes they will right that's actually something i hadn't even thought about is all those like you know mm-hmm. Deramax is a beef flavor tab it says it right on the bottle and and same with our heartworm meds and you know for right. a dog that is sensitive to that i guess that's a real concern yeah and so sometimes and sometimes you just you can watch it and say okay we'll see what they do every month and then sometimes it's 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 you know, they're sensitive enough. You have to take them off everything. Mm-hmm. Um, that. Now, it doesn't mean don't give them. That means talk to your veterinarian and figure out what alternatives. If you can get an unflavored pill, or right. um, so there are some topicals out there, and there are some other things we can do to kind of minimize that. If even it's just for a few months, while we kind of figure figure that out. Right. Um, other things, treats. A lot of people don't think of treats. They're like, oh, no, it's safe, or it's a sweet potato treat, or it's just like this kind of thing. So, yeah, well, it's, it's, it may have other things in it. So unless you made it right, and it's, it's something that your veterinarian said it's in the case, I would, probably wouldn't give it because um, sometimes people can put other stuff in there and not, not put it on the ingredients. Right. Um, rawhide, rawhide chews. I mean, those are, are beef products, so they can sometimes have um, cause a reaction right. with or, that as well. So, I mean, in my neighborhood, neighbors love to give everybody's dog a treat. And sometimes exactly. it can be hard to convince a person that like, no, you know, your good relationship with my dog will be better if you don't keep making me grumpy, basically. Right. You know? <laughs> um, and they don't, they don't understand perhaps that one treat will cause this problem for my dog. And, you, you know, yes, you really should ask before you offer it or, you know, that kind of thing. Right. So, so that's why I said sometimes it's good just to practice and say, okay, let's pretend we're on the diet now before we actually go and you know, get the diet and switch over and pretend and see what actually is going into. Right. You know. Well, yeah. What kind of extras are we already unknowingly giving basically? Exactly. Okay. And so uh, what is the long-term prognosis when we're dealing with food allergies? Right. So usually in most cases, they're going to, you know, keep the food allergies. In some cases I've heard they're, you know, they may go away. It's always something. The only way you'd find out is to do a challenge them mm-hmm. and see if they actually go. Away. But um, it's really hard to say if they're going to go away. I mean, technically they could go away. And sometimes in people they go away, but it's, you know, it's severe enough. It's most cases not worth it to do. And usually they kind of, in most cases, they'll have a flare-up from time to time because of those accidental. They got a treat from somewhere in the neighborhood. They right. went somewhere. They got to pick something off the ground. And they'll kind of challenge themselves every once in a while, Un- <laughs> unbeknownst to you sometimes. Right. Um, but a lot of times um, it, it will do that. Okay. And so and they, they'll get it. It's unlikely that it will go away. But does it, does it affect like the quality of life for, for a pet or, or even the length of their life? Right. So, um, you know, if you can get it under control and you can stop them from having the secondary infection, the ear infections, all the other things going along with it, can definitely their quality of life could be fine mm-hmm. uh, just on the diet um, and things like that. Um, it doesn't affect their longevity as far as we can tell. Great. Um, there's there's nothing that say it should make their life. But, you know, quality of life is more, more uh, the result of the secondary infections and all the things that go with it uh, as far as quality itchiness. It's just not fun to be itchy for anybody. Right. Uh, dog or person or, or whatever. Right. Okay. Okay. Uh, and is there anything else that you'd like to add about this topic? Well, I was going to mention just a couple things, uh, some things that sometimes we'll tell you, you know, I, I did say, you know, only the treats and let's talk to your veterinarian. Some of the things that we'll have people do, some of the tricks you can do. Sometimes I'll have people get a, a canned version of the food. Mm-hmm. Um, like say it's ZD or um, Ultimino, get a canned version of the food, take like a little melon baller and ball out the little can to put on a little wax paper and freeze it. And you can make little frozen dog treats that dogs tend to like. It's made from wet food and things like that. You can also bake it. It just will smell really bad. So I always <laughs> tell people, 
probably good not to bake it. Right. Um, yeah. So um, there are some other things and you can check with your veterinarian to see if these things are okay or not. I, I got these from a list from a dermatologist from a lecture I went to not too long ago. Um, some, some potatoes can some do that. Sometimes plain oats, mm-hmm. bananas sometimes can be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, there also is a good um, treat. Um, it's called a syringy. Dog okay. treats, Serenity, they're called rapids, and they're like, a, I think it's like a potato hypoallergenic type of things that you can wrap pills in and things like that to get them to take it easily. Um, and then sometimes I'll recommend marshmallows for treats oh. um, or even not even for treats, but to sneak pills in, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, Dogs must love so you. So we can sometimes have that. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> okay. Um, so they're also going to have... Animals will have flare-ups from time to time. They're either going to get treats they shouldn't get. They're going to get something outside. They're going to they're going to get flare-ups. So just just be aware of that. If they do have those, of course, bring them in. If they get an infection, if they have a flare-up and you're concerned, bring them in for us to treat. And just be expected that we're not going to completely get rid of it, but we're going to have, you know, we're going to have flare-ups that we're going to need to treat from time to time. Um, it's just something to to expect kind of long term for them. Sure, I think you know anybody with chronic conditions and allergies, I guess, are considered you know, usually a chronic condition, you expect that. And it's the same for our pets. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate your time again, and I look forward to our next episode. Thank you. Again, this podcast is intended for educational purposes only, and it is specifically intended for clients of the Animal Hospital of North Asheville. If today's episode has contradicted information given to you by your veterinarian, please adhere to your practice's advice and policies. This brings us to the end of the episode. If you aren't already, we'd love it if you'd stay connected with us on social media. Thank you for listening, and until next time, may your life be full of puppy love and kitten kisses.